Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. I think as a leader, the degree to which you are willing to work with the broken and wounded areas in your own life is the degree to which God can continue to use you to lead and develop and grow people. So the deeper I allow the Holy Spirit to do healing within me, the more effective leader I become and the more effective God's able to do things through me. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Vanoy. Yes, you are. And this is also the Unseen Leadership podcast. So thanks for doing five leadership questions and unseen leadership all at one time. But who are we here with today? Okay, so uh, this, you know, we talk about special guests and all that. Well, Christine uh, has been on the podcast, I think, four times. Probably. And Nick, you've been on twice, I think. Twice. So now we have Nick and Christine Kane uh, that are here today. Now, from an introduction standpoint, um, I tend to lean on uh, a couple of things. They do many, many things, but there are two things that um, I always want our listeners to know about because I'm passionate about both these things. Um, one would be A21. So if you you've you've if you've listened to the podcast very long, uh, you've heard us talk about it with them or when we were on with IJM or whoever. Anytime there is a uh, a justice issue or slavery issue. We will pretty much mention A21 uh, with ever who we're talking to. Would you share from your heart, Christine, because that's where this comes from, uh, share what A21 is? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, in a few short words, we really aim to abolish slavery everywhere forever and mm. um, huge statement, but it really can be done. And so um, we've been going for 11 years now and basically about 13 years ago, I became aware of the issue of human trafficking. I didn't know. So as recently as 13 years ago, I did not know that modern day slavery actually existed. I thought it was it was abolished. And, mm. um, and then I was in Greece and came across modern day slavery, human trafficking, and made a decision way back then with Nick, came home just distraught. And, um, you know, Nick said, Christine, now that we know, we can't unknow, we have to do something. Mm. And really, he began to drive uh, the fact that we have to begin to build something that can help to reach, rescue and restore the victims of human trafficking. So we're a good team because I've got a mouth, as we know, um, (laughs) (laughs) and Nick has a genius in terms of Mm. infrastructure. And so over that time, um, in the last, you know, 10 years, 11 years that we've been operational, uh, we have 15 offices in 14 countries around the world, um, major campaigns around the world to help reach the vulnerable, to uh, rescue the ones that are trapped in slavery, and then to restore survivors. And so um, I couldn't have dreamt that we would see what we have seen. Um, You know, we just crossed over a couple of weeks ago our 1,000th person um, went through our care program, which is just unbelievable. Like, you know, if you had told me that that would have happened, I mean, we've helped many, many more thousands than that, but to actually have a thousand that have come through our care program is just really moving to me and dozens of traffickers in jail to help stop the injustice at that level. And so, um, you know, to me, 
we have kids in our care. We have a 17-month-old uh, in Southeast Asia with a broken pelvis. I won't even go into detail mm-hmm. about what was done to that child. But it, from that kind of depravity and pain and heartache um, to, you know, young women, teenage girls in Eastern Europe that have been taken literally uh, sold for sex into brothels um, and watching their lives become transformed um, in America just... Two weeks ago, we just launched our Can You See Me uh, campaign right through um, all of Texas. Nick, you want to talk a bit about that? Because that's major. Yeah, that's a, it's been a fantastic partnership with Clear Channel. So um, we've we've now Clear Channel um, and various, various of the, the Texas um, government departments uh, right up to the, the governor's office have really partnered hard to... to get a an awareness of trafficking um, right across te- Texas. So it's in 70 different cities, um, over 400 different billboards, um, in uh, Dallas airport uh, and... I saw... I, I, I just flew through Dallas two days ago and, you know, saw one of those signs, yeah. so... And, and it's a fantastic campaign in that it's bilingual um, and it highlights... The, 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 the name of the campaign is Can You See Me? And it's designed to highlight particular instances of trafficking, which uh, many people see in everyday life. But and people will look at a particular scenario and go, something looks wrong there. But mm. they don't know how to. They, they wouldn't necessarily link it with human trafficking. And even if they did, they wouldn't know what to do with it. So the goal is to be able to highlight to somebody, hey, that may be human trafficking. I can do something proactive by calling that number and giving the information to um, the National Anti-Trafficking Hotline, which will allow them to compose the the basics of a case um, to be able to report that into police and actually have something done to to see those people rescued. Um, And we've done a similar campaign um, in the UK and have had some fantastic results where uh, we, we saw over a uh, 125% increase in reporting and a 400% increase in charges laid. Um, and, and one of the, the fantastic stories of the UK campaign uh, is that a guy was on a plane coming into London and saw a, a guy with a young girl and thought that just didn't look right mm. and some of the behaviours that he was exhibiting. And as he got off the plane, he saw one of the Can You See Me posters um, and it, it started to get him thinking. When he got to baggage claim, he saw um, more posters. As he walked out, he saw another poster and he actually made the phone call. And uh, it, we love it when the plan comes together. The anti-trafficking hotline was able to alert um, Heathrow Police and they were able to arrest that trafficker and see that girl set free um, all, all very, very quickly. Mm. Um, so it's that, 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 that's sort of the, the peak of it where it happens sort of instantly. It often doesn't happen that fast. Um, but that's the power of the Can You See Me campaign and that's going to be all across Texas. Um, and we're looking at a number of other states as well at the moment where um, the, the, the various governors have said, hey, this is going to be a really effective campaign. We've, we've launched it in, uh, federally um, in partnership with the Department of Justice and Department of Transport, and uh, it, it, it's proving to be really effective. So this is an issue that, you know, you, you've already obviously heard about this in the news or somewhere, and you didn't know what to do. Well, 
now you know what you can do. A21.org is where you can go to find out more information. But even next week in a city that is your city or a city close to you, because I think there's 175 cities where people can walk for freedom next weekend. There's 475 cities across the world, and there's a walk in, I think, every state. Good deal. So that is uh, it takes US. place on October 19th. Um, and definitely go check that out. If you go to a21.org, um, that's the letter A, the numbers 21.org, then it'll be right there front and center. The other thing that they do at risk of talking for too long about what they do, but you guys do a lot. And this is just two things you do is propel. Yeah. So uh, obviously, um, I'm quite obsessed with leadership, LifeWay leadership. That's what we do. You have a whole network about it. And so uh, I think one of the beautiful things about what Propel does, it is, it's not women's ministry leadership, which there's nothing at all wrong with that. Uh, this is about women being leaders where they live, work, play, and go to church. Uh, so really quickly, Tell us what that is, and then I will make sure that we get into at least five questions. <laughs> yeah, I just think the basic thing, obviously, is that we want to help um, equip and empower women um, to lead in every sphere of life. So, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home mother, homeschooling kids, or a corporate CEO, we want to put tools into your hands, and we do that, um, obviously, through just different uh, curriculums and newsletters and gatherings and events um, to help equip and empower women and say, look, inside of you. You're filled with God-given purpose, passion, and potential. Let's help to activate that um, so that you can ultimately be salt and light wherever you are for the glory of God and maximize your leadership potential. So I think everyone's got leadership potential. We just want everyone to flourish to the fullness of this. Good deal. And one last thing I would say, uh, <laughs> if you want, you can go back and look um, for the episode with uh, Megan. Is it Megan or Megan? Megan Dredge? Megan Dredge. Megan Dredge. It's Australian Megan. American uh, well, Megan. I said okay, Megan. So Megan, Megan is the it. Australian translation of Megan. There you go. So you know how to spell that now. Go back and look at 5LQ and you can see uh, that interview. I'm going to shut up so it will go a little faster. Chandler, <laughs> go for it. Well, just as you've heard, there's so much that uh, Nick and Christine do uh, serving the Lord in this, but we want to kind of explore the behind the scenes, kind of the making of what led to Propel as well as A21. So the first question that we're going to ask is is simply this, is can you walk us through a quick overview of the different leadership roles that you were both in over the years that led you to where you are today? Sure. Well, for me, you know, I really... Um started to become a, a fully devoted follower of Jesus at about 22. Mm. And then um, I very soon after became the executive director of our community-based youth center. We founded that. So my life has always been teams um, and building uh, institutions with large teams. So we became um, the largest community-based youth center in the nation. And so I had to, uh, we built all that team. So that was back in the 90s. Mm. Um, so a lot of the foundation for A21 would have been way back then when yeah. we were building community-based youth center. That's where I learned to work with government. I learned how to do proposals. I learned how to build teams. I learned how to work with schools. I learned how to work with um, corrective services. All of that happened then. And it was the outreach arm of our youth ministry. Um, I went from there. I was appointed the director of our national youth movement for the denomination that I was part of uh, called Youth Alive. And they were uh, what would be 
termed like um, outreach events. So we would have 20,000 kids in an arena and I, wow. my job would be to gather all the churches. So it was, that's where I learned church unity. That's where I learned to work with every denomination. Um, that's where I learned to mobilize um people to, to work together in communities and with schools. So you would do uh, your classic, you know, do five events a day in schools and then at the, on Saturday night you'd have a big event, yeah. big band, all of that kind of thing. So I did that for seven years and we built that out um, right across. So I had to learn you know, to work with everybody and to build national teams. It was from there that we started then together um, Equip and Empower and that became um, equipment empowered to help um, churches uh, around the world. So we kind of went from youth to church and um, Nick and I worked together. And again, it was building church leadership teams. So really that was for seven years. Yeah. And so so at that point, as far as a leadership role for us, we were, we were developing leadership uh, teams with churches. But in our internal ministry, um, it was us. So yeah. it, it meant that we were whatever needed to be. We were the secretary. We were the travel agent. We the were the janitor. <laughs> um, we were the person who worked with the graphic artist because neither of us has any graphic art ability <laughs> to get um, covers for um, back in the day. They were tape series. Um, <laughs> we're old. We're old. <laughs> you don't know what that is, but we had cassette tapes. Okay. Google it. So, 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 so at that point, we did everything yeah. that needed to be done at, um, as we then built teams and the scope of the ministry grew so that there were other people. And then it became a matter of leading those people and helping to define the roles of those people. So um, at the risk of sounding heretical, um, <laughs> You know, uh, people that listen to the podcast again have heard me talk about, hey, uh, there's there's really like three awakenings that you you have. You know, there's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'm converted. I come to know Jesus and I can testify about that. But then oftentimes uh, we fail to lead people to the next place, which is 2.10. And we're God's workmanship and he's prepared stuff for us to do. But as church leaders, we're then supposed to meet move to Ephesians 4 and say, it's my job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So can you tell me in that process, what was the, when did it shift for you from doing to developing? Because a lot of us, a lot of people that are listening, you know, are experiencing the same thing. If it was going to be done, it was, it was me. I was the secretary. I'm the, you know, fill in the blank, all those things that you said. So when did it click for you um, that you needed to be a developer and not just a, a doer at a higher level. I think we developed as we did because we came from a church culture that is a very much a multiplication reproduction culture. And so um, even when we first started the, you know, the youth center and I was still doing everything, but I had interns that were doing and we mm. were developing as we were doing, even when we start Youth Alive, Equipment Empower, it would be the same. I think our work speaks for itself. If you look at A21, if you look at Propel from day one, um, we were always developing, which is why we have 15 offices around the world now, <laughs> which is why Propel has um, 4,000 chapters in 80 countries. We have 100 Propel chapters in Pakistan because for me, it, it's always creating pathways and pipelines um, so that other people can uh, be developed as we do. So I think there's, if you go into your leadership knowing um, that if you are just going to do, you've already put a limit and a ceiling, a lid on your leadership. Um, if you're constantly thinking, which I think it's biblical, is to develop as you go. That's how you make disciples. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, that is the mandate for every single one of us going to all the world and make disciples. So in our sphere of influence, 
Um, I think if you just view yourself as a leader and you're making disciples, that comes to even as a mother, if you're raising children, you're making disciples. Um, wherever you are, if you're cognizant of the fact that my goal and my job is to develop others. Um, it happens. Now, for some of us, like Nick and I knew there was a global mandate on our lives. So I think no matter what we were doing, we, no matter what I launched, we'd launched Propel only four years ago. And here we are, 4,000 chapters, 80 countries. But it, it was never not going to be that because I'm, I'm thinking globally. I don't know what to say to you. It's like, yeah. it's just, and I've got a few other things in my heart. I'm only 53. So I've got, you know, a couple of really good big things. I don't even think I'm doing what I've been put on the earth to do yet. So, uh, and I'm thinking all of that is global multiplication. Re- how can we maximize? in the time I've got on the planet, not only to reach the maximum amount of people, but to develop and mm. um, release the maximum amount of people. I think the, 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 the more you see that there is to do, the realisation that you can't do it yourself leads to the necessity to train and equip others. Um, and if we don't train and equip others, we actually can't achieve anything terribly much. There's only so much one person can do. But if we can train and equip um, dozens and hundreds of others, then we can multiply our effectiveness that much. I think even, you know, a simple thing, 475 walks. I mean, people will be walking for 24 hours from New Zealand right through it'll end in Hawaii. Um, I can't, you know, only God is omnipresent. You know, so none of us can be. Therefore, <laughs> I think when you settle that, you go, well, I'm not God. He's very good at being himself. <laughs> he wants to be manifest through his people. So how can I make that happen in the most effective way. So none of those walks are dependent on me. None of those walks are, uh, you know, all all of those walks will be empowering literally hundreds of thousands of people to be able uh, to spread the news, to carry the burden, to, to do what needs to happen generationally. I'm always thinking generationally too, like if I was to die tomorrow, honestly, at this point, A21 would almost not have a hiccup. Propel Propel would need a transition, but it's still got an infrastructure ready that, you know, with the right person, it could keep going forward. And I'm always thinking that. I did that with Hills District Youth Service. I did it with Youth Alive. The same with A21 and Propel. We are always, how quick can this be sustainable without me sustaining it? So we're always thinking in that way, no matter what we're building. Yeah. I think one of the hardest things is, of course, you want to give the ministry away. We talk about that a lot in Lifeway Leadership and, you know, equipping those um, in the ministry to carry it out. How do you make sure your your standard of excellence, your standard is still kept even when you're giving the ministry away? Yeah. And again, um, I don't know that I'd use the language giving it away. I think delegated authority is is what I would use, is that God has given us stewardship over certain things. So ultimately the buck stops with us. Hmm. Um, so you've got to make a decision, what is it um, that I can live with? And I think I heard John Maxwell once say, you know, that 80, if they can do it kind of 80% as good as you in certain areas, um, which leads to frustration in certain areas, but you've just got it. We've become much better. And I think that's just a sign of getting older <laughs> um, <laughs> where you go, okay, I know this could have been, you know, that I, I, we're, what sets us apart is that 20%. That's what we're going to do mm. every time, not just sometimes. And so it's frustrating. And when you can learn to live with that frustration and go, it's okay, people grow to where they need to go. So if you do not give someone the room to grow to where they need to go, they're never going to get there. And so you know that they're likely to get to that place. Um, so you go, I can live without the 20% there until they grow there. And I keep lifting the bar for them to get there, giving them the tools to enable that to happen. Um, and you know, most you, you ought to, uh, 
in some areas have dual leadership um, when you're married. It's awesome because Nick and I are mostly in the same room uh, most of our lives. We sit about this close and, um, <laughs> and, you know, you have to constantly be redefining what falls under you, what falls mm. under me, how is this um, going to work together. It's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. But I think mostly um, you you have to be careful not to give the farm away too soon either. I'm, I'm very big on, um, you know, there, there has to be proven uh, loyalty, prove, uh, a proven test of ability, um, of willingness to learn, willingness to grow. I will take a willingness to grow over gift and talent every day of the week mm. um, because you can work with that. I think, um, you know, if someone sort of just comes in with a gift and a talent and sort of works like a hireling, that's fine if that's the arrangement that you have, but don't expect any more than that. If I'm going to invest my time, energy, resource into developing a leader, I want someone that's loyal, that's willing to grow and is loyal to the organisation. I think you've also got to, you got to inspect to make sure that you get what you expect. Um, That's good. Um, so, you, so you, as you delegate um, a function, you've got to make sure that that function is being fulfilled. Um, and if you will, if you if you if you give away leadership, um, that that's one thing. Um, but if you if you give the task and then you inspect that the task has been done to the standards that you want, then you you're you're doing that discipleship process and you're actually getting that person to the point where they can produce at that 80% level or better. Um, uh, Because delegation is an abdication. You can't just remove yourself from the (laughs) process. You've actually got to modify it. (laughs) Sorry, we're we're sitting here and Christine is doing what Christine does, which is um, Instagram. (laughs) She's documenting. (laughs) She's documenting documenting as we go. Um, And so, so yeah, I think it's a matter of, of you've got to um, instruct somebody what you want and then verify that you're getting what you want, um, that your understanding of what you ask them to do and what they've produced is the same. That's really good. That's really helpful. Let's move on to the next question here. Can you all tell us about a moment that you look back on that changed your leadership and your life? Like something that you look back on and say, ever since then, things have clearly changed. Yeah, I think for me, um, and now it's decades ago. I'm sorry for all you young people that weren't born when I'm, I'm saying this. But um, I remember one girl from my team back at Youth Alive in Australia um, came up to me and it would have taken her such great courage to do this. Um, uh, I understand, you know, I w- I'm... I'm I, I like to think that I'm drawn more than driven, but that's come with time. I'm drawn and compelled by the call of God rather than driven. Um, but I think when I was younger, I probably was driven more than drawn and mm. driven to want results and driven to want to achieve. And so I would drive, uh, you know, because I wanted excellence. And I thought, well, I know we can, we can do this. But I remember one day she, she came to me just extremely vulnerable and sort of just with this sense of, look, I, I'm just never going to be able to please you. I'm never, mm. I just remember that moment and really it was her vulnerability, her openness and, and her compassion in really confronting me that just made me realize 
that just to a degree I was pushing way too hard um, for this goal and I was forgetting the person and I was concerned more with the result than I was with the person. I know yeah. that that changed my leadership style hmm. and um, hopefully I think my team would say that I'm, I'm a lot more <laughs> merciful and and then um, everyone reports to Nick anyway so he's calm or faster <laughs> than me so that's way more helpful. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I have to admit that that really did. I thought, Christine, you cannot... Uh, drive the person, you know, at the just trying to get an outcome at the expense of a person. You've got to remember that we're working with people. God loves people and God yeah. develops people. And I think that really did change my whole approach. And I really went into some and got some intense leadership training and development. And I think it, it actually made me such a better leader um, in many ways. And to not look at everyone through the lens of what I may or may not be able to do and to understand that God brings different people into your path to compliment you, other people for you to grow. And so, um, you know, I, I had to really learn to get bigger. I think it, it probably exposed some of the brokenness in me, especially decades ago when I was still working through my healing. You know, I come from a background of abuse and abandonment and rejection. And I think as a leader, the degree to which you are willing to work with the broken and wounded areas in your own life is the degree to which God can continue to use you to lead and develop and grow people. And so there is a direct correlation between the degree of um, healing on the inside there is of me and the external manifestation mm -hmm. of what God does through me. So the deeper I allow the Holy Spirit to do healing within me, the more effective leader I become and the more effective God's able to do things through me. I, let's close in prayer. <laughs> no, I think it's so easy. You see the goal ahead of people. You see the whole goal that you want to accomplish and you see, we have to get there. Let's, I'm going to drive everybody yeah. towards that. And, and the word that you use is draw. And it's really showing people through your, your relationship with them saying, Hey, we can do this together because I know you, I care about you. Here's exactly how you can contribute to this team. And it's so much of a relational aspect of leadership. So it's a great reminder. It, it actually reminds me of uh, of something. Um, Brad Wagner, who's like my mentor, who's been on the podcast a time or two recently, he talks about the push, the pull, and the glue. Um, so it, it actually, some of the loyalty pieces, I think, speaks to, it's not loyalty necessarily to, to you guys, it's loyalty to the organization yeah. and the organizational values. Yeah. And that is the glue. I mean, that's the glue. Uh, and, you know, the, the push is, the, of course, the, the drive, but the pull is the vision piece of this. And how compelling is that? Uh, so I love, I love, love, love um, what you guys um, ha have said here. Okay, sorry, Chandler's pointing <laughs> to a question. Uh, what's the biggest mistake as a leader? Uh, that, what was your biggest mistake as a leader getting started? I would say, again, it is uh, it is part of what I just said um, in terms of driving people. But also, I think the emotional health of a leader is crucial. And so all of us, you know, uh, my gift quickly took me to a place that my character would not have kept me mm. if God did not do a work in me and if I wasn't willing to have that done in me. And it took some wake up moments like that girl coming to yeah. say, hey, you're kind of driving us too much. Um, to go, okay, what's broken on the inside of me? How much of this is because I'm compelled by the vision and how much of this is because somehow I think this is going to reflect badly on me? Where is the insecurity in me? Who am I trying to prove what to rather than trying to uh, be drawn by God and a compelling vision? And so I think 
one of the biggest mistakes initially was that I was thrust into a leadership role and my internal world wasn't up to it. In my case, I think I'm still here 30 years later because then I made a commitment to get counselling and healing and I think a lot of those two things, and that's been an ongoing thing now for three decades of my life, which is why I think largely God can continue to use us because we've all got blind spots Mm -hmm. and we all, you know, at every stage, I've never had to lead anything in 15 countries or, you know, thousands of, I mean, it continues to grow. So every stage we grow and God adds more things under our our leadership, um, I discover new areas within my own soul that need to be healed and made whole. One of the one of the favorite quotes or things I've ever heard you say is if the spotlight on you is brighter than the light of God within you, you it's gonna destroy you. It's gonna destroy you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me finish that for you. Yeah, it's gonna destroy you. you. Because there is no other way, and particularly in this day and age, you know, I, I always say I I thank God my call to leadership was before there was ever an internet. That's how old I am. Some of you don't even know that world like my own children. They just go, Mom, were you really alive then? Was there was there a world then? There was. And so that I was called before there was ever an internet or social media. And so um, there were places you could make more mistakes in anonymity mm. and obscurity. And, um, you know, it was more helpful. I, d- I, d- I could, didn't have to spend my day scrolling through everybody else's life. I didn't have to spend my day comparing with anybody else because, well, I mean, we were back in the stray and nobody even knew where that was. You know, you had to <laughs> row for three years to get there. And um, so it was, it gave you some great chances. Nowadays, young people are thrust very publicly mm. into leadership roles with huge platforms where the spotlight is on you every single day and um, which means the pressure is so much so much greater I mean, my heart this is why I love doing I love the unseen podcast I love uh, that we're doing things for the next generation because we're going to have to help uh, younger people navigate things that did not exist in my time uh, but there are eternal truths and biblical truths that transcend time there is experiences that transcend that and I think some of the very public uh, perhaps even ministry leadership failures that we're seeing can be avoided if we're willing to allow God to do some internal work on the inside on, on the inside of us I mean you know with um, looking at different people uh, that we started the journey with or that came into the journey while, you know, even recently, um, I look at people who I'm just thinking, um, about a recent friend who passed away, uh, at his own hand and just thinking about processing that and processing that with other, uh, with, well, I'm like grandpa in that group, but with some of those young influencers and just having to flesh that out because this person was, there, I mean, very much trying to shine a spotlight on depression and trying to shine a spotlight on the difficulties that we face um, as 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 young leaders. And you know, the the big takeaway for me was basically that there's only one person who was meant to be looked at uh, and held up as perfect to say, "Look at me, I'm perfect," and see no fault in me. Uh, and social media really pushes us toward that image, toward reflecting that image. Mm-hmm. Here I am, look at me, see no flaw in me. And I think we're just, we're not made not for that. Well, I mean, you wonder why uh, 
I, I think the rates of even within leaders, um, there is so much anxiety and depression. And because if you think that you have to, my shoulders are not big enough to carry the burden of this. This is the bottom line. You know, Jesus carried that 2000 years ago at Calvary. I yeah. don't need to. So I'm not pretending to be perfect. I'm going, I'm as, uh, I'm willingly and openly going, I'm flawed. I think our team is very aware of that. Um, I'm on a journey like everybody else. I take very seriously the responsibility of being a leader. Um, if I make a mistake, hopefully I'm very quick to say, I'm sorry. But I think the minute you think you have to be more than you really are. It's the beginning of the end because you cannot carry the weight of that. So there has to be this place where you keep holding Jesus up as a model and also understanding that we're about the Father's business and we're trying to do the good works that God put us on this earth to do before we ever got here. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I'm not not flawed. And Ultimately, I'm a signpost to Jesus anyway. So mm -hmm. the moment my leadership becomes about me and not actually pointing people to Jesus, and then there's something really wrong with this whole picture anyway. That's a very helpful reminder. And just in the same capacity of what Todd's talking about, it's being thrust into the spotlight. And this is what social media is, is pointing to. Um, I think we need to remember as Christian leaders that vulnerability and admitting we're broken is okay. Um, and just to, to remind people of that and point people to Jesus. So going on to the next question here, what book do you wish someone gave you when you were just starting to lead? Okay, the book I wish I read really early on was The Emotionally Healthy Leader um, by Peter Scazzaro. And so I good. think it, it is so, so good. And um, I get our leadership team to... Uh, to go through that and pretty much recommend it everywhere because there is, I mean, so many books have been written about your emotional quotient and, but there is a direct correlation. And I think, um, you know, for women, um, I guess even at perhaps my level of leadership, there, there aren't that many when you look around and that for 30 years have, have sustained this. Um, again, I still will maintain that gift and talent will only ever take you so far. You're, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul. They're all important. It's mm -hmm. not just your mind or your gifts and your talents, but your heart and soul are crucial. So the degree to which your heart is healthy is the degree to which you will remain a healthy leader and continue to multiply um, and reproduce. And so I think there's so many great books. And I mean, my, our leadership shelves are, are just <laughs> full. I like every, I mean, I just love it. It's, I, I love reading that yeah. stuff. But again, I don't think anything is greater than understanding um, how emotionally healthy you are. And I, it comes down to you live as long as I do. And when they start, when leaders start to hit their 40s, I'm seeing a real crisis amongst young men that I know um, in their 40s now. Uh, and people my age and it's not about their gift and talent. They're incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, but they're starting to unravel and it's an emotional thing more mm. than anything else. So I would say that's something that needs to really be dealt with. Yeah. Uh, mine, mine would be along a similar line, but the Henry Cloud and his boundaries stuff um, is stuff that I, I absolutely love. His necessary endings. Oh, that's so good. Um, just, just because you've got to... As Chris said, if if you're not healthy on the inside, then you're you're a terrible person to be around <laughs> for people that you're leading, and you have unrealistic expectations of both yourself and the people that you're leading. Um, so I think that I, being healthy yourself is the best gift that you can give to your team. It's the best gift you can give to your family. So 
um, understanding that whole emotional um, health would be be absolutely key. So uh, another episode you should take a look at would be uh, we had Pete Scazzaro on. Yeah, and it was really good. Yes, very good. Um, so Nick, what was your biggest mis- misconception as a young leader? Oh, um, I think it probably goes back to um, uh, some of the, what we were talking about before is, um, first of all, that I could do it myself. Um, and then when I gave it to somebody, that they would do it as well as I would do it without <laughs> supervising it. Um, so so when, I, when I talk about you've got to um, inspect what you expect, um, that's born out of experience rather than just supernatural wisdom. It's having <laughs> things fall over enough that you – and then talking to somebody going, wow, um, why didn't you do it this way? And they were going, oh, I didn't even know that's what you wanted me to do. Mm. Or you didn't give me the, the equipment uh, – you didn't give me the equipping to be able to do it. So, um, yeah. I would that would be what I would say. Chris, how about you? What would what was your biggest misconception as a young leader? That we would change the world overnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that God would actually, you know, be with my program and my time frame. It's just like, it is shocking to me how slow God is. And, and, so, and that everybody won't do. That, yeah, but the thing is that, you know, the, the scripture says that faith and patience will inherit the promise. I'm like, someone forgot to tell me about the patience part. I thought it was like all faith and we're going to get there and it's going to happen. So I definitely, um, you know, we've all heard it, but it's going to take a whole lot longer than you ever thought it would. It's going to cost a whole lot more than you ever thought it would. And it's going to hurt. Hmm. way more. So I think I, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm a very loyal person. It's a high value for me. So I think uh, just some of the betrayals along the way, some of the people that just don't make the journey that you thought you'd be in it hmm. for life with them. Um, I don't know if that's a chick thing, might be, but but that for me, I'm thick skinned, but very tender hearted. So hmm. if we're on mission together, I mean, you have all of me, we're all in. I'll take a bullet for you. You know, we're there. And so sometimes when things relationally go south, that deeply, deeply impacts me to the point that it almost took me out about three years ago. And um, I'm just writing on that now, a book called How Did I Get Here? It's taken me three years to sort of be able to even write about it. But I think the best way I can uh, word it is, um, you know, David said it would have been easy uh, if it was my enemy that kind of turned against me. But when it's your friend, the person mm. that you went up to the house of God with, so it's kind of mm. like when it's your friends that you're on a mission with and you're going, I think that kind of, uh, however it's viewed, because every party sees it differently, but perceived betrayal on everyone, on anyone's front or just different expectations. I think that for me, it just brought me to a place. I remember Nick, you know, my husband um, for rela- relaxation, just really enjoys watching like Navy SEAL movies. And I like, it's just, it's odd. But, um, and so one night he was watching this thing, which now I've just, I, I didn't know what it was because that's not how I relax. But um, it was a thing called Hell Week. It was this series about Hell Week of which I learned there is a Navy SEAL Hell Week where you go in and it's amazing what people do to one another to try to make them quit. And so um, <laughs> these men were carrying like, you know, it was just very little sleep for this whole week, dropped out of helicopters in the middle of the ocean. I mean, just 
odd. And so um, it was, and people yelling at them. And the whole goal was to try to get these men to ring the bell in the mm. quadrangle so they could go have a hot shower. And basically, if I could make you quit here, you're not going to quit on the front line. You know, you're never going to get to the front line where you could yeah. quit. So the whole goal of this series that Nick was watching was to get them to ring the bell. But anyway, in this one moment, um, I just, you know, I'm not, I'm contrary to what people might think, I'm, I'm not hyper emotional, but I started to cry. And I said, I think that's how I feel. I think I had just kind of gone through this betrayal and it was one thing after the other because you take a lot of hits on the front line. I mean, you know, you don't try to abolish sex trafficking and do what we're doing without there being a spiritual component. Mm. No wonder Ephesians says, you know, that uh, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but um, powers and principalities. You've got to remember, I mean, this is a podcast for Christian leaders. So there's, there's that component, yeah. which is very real and very evident. I don't want to diminish that in any way. But I think I'd gotten to the place where I said to him, I said to Nick, you know, in my Christian life and all my leadership journey, three decades, um, I think that's where I might be, where I I think I might want to ring the bell. It's not that I can't. I feel like I'm sitting in the water and I know I've got to be in this freezing cold water for six hours and, you know, I know I could do it. I, I know physically I could make it. I know spiritually I could make it. I know I've got, I could draw it. I've done this before but I don't know if I want to. And that scared me more mm. than anything else. I'd never gotten to a place as a leader where I thought I actually am probably more aware, much more aware at 53 than I was at 23 of the cost of continuing to go forward. And I thought, I don't know if I want to, with no desire to go and backslide or anything like that mm. in that way. Um, but I thought, Nobody would even know. I could just stop pushing, stop pressing on. Um, I could coast. And most people would think she's still, you know, me in a coma is probably more full on than most people <laughs> in a good day. So it would be like, um, you know, um, nobody would know, but God would know. And God and I would know. And um, it, that really scared me. That place really, really scared me. I thought, you know, Nick, has a, this is above my pay grade. You need to go see a counsellor for a few months. <laughs> so it was like, um, you know, where where do I tap back into something on the inside that would say don't ring the bell as a leader and keep going at 53 and saying, okay, let, let's now move into that next thing. But so for me, um, when people aren't going to go the journey with you and you thought they would, that that's probably my number one thing. So good. So good. Well, let's move to the quick hitters now. So these are going to be short one-minute oh, answers. Okay. I'm not used to this. They're trying to give me, trying to give me a hint. I thought, don't, don't I thought, I thought we were done, but we can, we'll let's quick hitters. Quick hitters. So the first one is this, is what is your ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office, exercise, all that good stuff? Um, I tend to get up about five, have a quiet time. Um, I take the kids to school. Then I um, exercise. I, I I'm training for a mountain bike ride, so um, I'll I'll ride. Then I'll go to the office, um, and I'm better if I get all that done. If I get the exercise done early, then I'm better when I'm in the office because I'm more focused, um, clear-headed, and I'm not trying to figure figure out how to fit that in at the <laughs> right. end of the day, which never happens. You know, what? I was just thinking, Nick, um, you don't live too far from Eric Geiger, and uh, he has taken up mountain biking. And <laughs> he, he actually he's, got he's, into mountain biking with the same person I got into mountain biking really? with. Really? And um, Apparently and, you were trained better because uh, he went over the bars a time or two and resulted in a sling. 
Um, yeah, he got the sling. I have actually scraped my face, um, gouged my leg. Oh my goodness! Um, I've had more injuries and lost lost more skin in the last eighteen months <laughs> on a mountain bike than I had done in the previous forty something years of my life. So it's it's um, BMX biking for adults is pretty much what it is. Um, except we're still all convinced that we're twelve and can bounce as well as we used to. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Christine? Okay. Well, I love it because um, Nick brings me coffee and that's what wakes me up after he has his quiet time. I know. Sorry, everybody out there. This is really real. Um, and then I would be the same. Um, you know, I'm having my quiet time when he takes the kids to school and then I'll exercise and then get into whatever the day is. Now, we travel a lot as well, but pretty much that kind of schedule is what would happen, is that it's up, the Lord, exercise, and then we get on with the day. All right. What's your favorite app on your phone? Mine is um, a combination of Things and Wonderlist. Um, I use Things to keep myself on track and my executive team all put questions that they have for me in Wonderlist so that when I walk into a meeting with them, um, I know the questions that they actually need answers to and I've had an opportunity to think about that um, so that rather than having a cold start, we've got a, walk, a hot start. I like this health one because it tells me how many steps I've done every day. <laughs> so that's there my you one. Go. There you go. <laughs> Well, the last question here, and it's one of my favorites, is this, is what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? Be unoffendable. Mm. Remain a lifelong learner. Going back to the teachability piece you're talking about. That's good. Christine and Nick, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing about your leadership journey. And thank you for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, head on over to iTunes to leave a rating and review so another leader like yourself can find the podcast. We'll see you next week.